April 14, 1912, the pride of the White Star Line collides with an iceberg, and the largest luxury liner sinks to the depths, taking thousands of lives with her. You may have heard of it. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy, and welcome aboard. <laughs> aboard. <laughs> welcome aboard, ship hits the fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs and whoopsies on the high seas. Let's keep it. You scurvy cur. Yeah, I, I, um, you, a scallywag. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's not bad. Oh man, where where do we start with this one? The most requested, the most put mm-hmm. off, the most obvious wreck for us to cover, and we have barely touched it aside from some conspiracy theories that yeah, all so it's ended. Yeah, like an episode about ghosts on it. Or yeah, something. I don't and uh, most of those storylines ended in anti-Semitism. It seemed. I think all of them. did. All of them did. Yeah, <laughs> um, but we arrive now at the inevitable. You thought this gleaming, unsinkable podcast would never reach where it was headed well you're wrong idiot uh, <laughs> we'd like to thank the god bg brian gar of course uh jim cameron captain h <laughs> lawrence and anyone who's ever tweeted at us it is time to talk yeah, thank you the titanic did the i what did i get that the titanic 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 yeah i don't know one of those one of those is right all right well we haven't said it yet. We, <laughs> no, we haven't. We're covering the Titanic, that's, if you're curious. Yeah, yeah, that's what if we're you haven't dancing figured, if around. You're, if you're quite simple. Uh, if you're, if you're dim. Yeah, which many, many of our listeners are. I know, I, I am. Da- I've seen the data. Yeah. Shall we? We must. White Star Line, the owners of the Titanic, were owned by a company called International Mercantile Marine Company, or IMM for short. That parent company was owned by two men, the chairman of the White Star Line, J. Bruce Ismay, more on him later, and American business mogul, J.P. Morgan. I'd like to mention that I do have a Chase card, too, actually. Oh, interesting. J.P. Morgan Chase. More on that later. You might remember that we talked about J.P. Morgan's foray (laughs) into the shipbuilding industry in episode one, but it might be helpful to have some modern context here. At this time, sea travel was your only transatlantic option. Not only is it the vehicle for nearly all tourism outside contiguous countries with rail systems, but it's also the vehicle for most emigration from Europe to America and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, your number one choice is the country that you're in is likely the one you will die in at any given moment. Likewise with the town you were born in. (laughs) Yes, that too. Maybe the house even. Which honestly, probably, probably better, right? I mean, that's that's ideal. I think we had it figured out back then. Mm -hmm. Things were simpler. Cunard had a strong foothold on the transatlantic ocean travel market with Lusitania and Mauritania, but White Star Line wanted in. To think of this in a way that makes sense to us today, Cunard and White Star are like airlines trying to entice you with free checked bags or seats that lay down, a VIP airport lounge with free apples and drinks. <laughs> free apples? It's always the red app, the mealy red apples. Oh, they're delicious. It yeah. is uh, yeah. bread to Horrid taste apple. like that. A, a terrible apple. A terrible apple. Think of J.P. Morgan as Richard Branson and White Star as Virgin Atlantic. I, I don't know what page is flying because I'm treated like cargo when I fly and I have to pay for anything and everything. Irish. Yeah. Oh, Irish. oh. Yeah. <laughs> right. We've right. Covered that. When I'm flying Arlingus. Arlingus. <laughs> so White Star wanted the corner of the market in transatlantic travel. So they came up with a plan for what they called Olympic class ocean liners. These were meant to be the largest ships on the water, with the fastest motors money could buy, outfitted with luxury accommodations to rival every other ship on the sea. They named them HMHS Britannic, although she was originally called Gigantic, which is probably better. Definitely better. Right. The RMS Olympic, and finally, the RMS Titanic. Titanic. The Titanic and her sister ship, Olympic, were constructed by Harland and Wolf shipbuilders in Belfast. They were built at the same time because no one had ever built a ship that large. (laughs) They took over more than three berths, which would normally be used to construct multiple ships. They were given essentially a blank check. Their budget was whatever was deemed necessary by the designers, plus an additional 5% profit guaranteed to the shipbuilders. Oh, it was a good time to be in shipbuilding. Seriously, yeah, that... Those days are over, right? Getting paid for uh, a craft or a specialized skill? Yes. I, I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah. 
The Olympic and Titanic were said to have cost three million pounds each, mm-hmm. or just over three hundred and fifty million pounds in today's money. Uh, if we want to translate that even further, four hundred and thirty-three million one hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, t- <laughs> I wish I had something clever expensive. to say. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a normal rate of inflation. It seems like right. Three million is now three hundred and fifty million a hundred years later. Yeah, I think that's good. Also, I'm looking okay. at the number again, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's like some Marvel movies. Uh, that's that's a, a oh, yeah. GTA yeah, yeah. game. It's a Marvel movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The area in Belfast Harbor where the ships was built was called Queen's Island at the time. Now it is referred to as Titanic Island since it took most of the area to house the ships as they were being built. Mm. They also required a giant custom gantry for using cranes and hoisting large beams, etc. This was built by Errol and Company. A company that primarily made bridges including you may have heard of this one the london tower bridge is that the one that's falling down yes it's in a perpetual state of falling down Mm. it took over two years it is (laughs) such a happy song (laughs) it took over two years to build the basic exteriors of the ships in tandem from december of 1908 to february of 1910 they were designed like large box girders and covered in overlapping steel plating which should go without saying we all knew that <laughs> naturally but, yeah come on it's just kind of redundant to say but you know i mean uh, yeah arc duh. welding <laughs> arc welding was newer at the time so many of these steel plates were hammered in by hand or riveted with hydraulic machines unfortunately the steel blend they were using can get very brittle in cold temperatures again this is not the audience that we have to explain uh, the brittle nature of steel, of steel blend blends. To. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you blend steel in this particular fashion, and you are going to be running into some issues when you get to colder temperatures. I mean, that's exactly that's. I mean, that's as obvious as overlapping steel plating on a large exactly. box girder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so together with hand, we. I'm sorry, but we 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 oscillate so wildly from calling our audience simple. To- <laughs> assuming their knowledge on on the the finer well, details savants. of shipbuilding. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. They're quite dim, but they do have a great knowledge of ships <laughs> and shipcraft. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Of course. But bring up anything else to them. The other just going to look at you. They're just going to stare at you. Yeah. Ask them to make empty. macaroni and cheese, and they're going to say, yeah. "Where did the girders go? What yeah. what yeah. gantry is this to construct?" So together with hand-hammered rivets, as opposed to a combination of rivets and welding. <laughs> Sorry, it's just another very specific Go thing. It's Okay, keep I going. <laughs> but our audience knows this stuff. It's possible that the damage to the ship was exacerbated by these building materials. The last pieces fitted before the initial launch were the Titanic's anchors. These were a feat in and of themselves. They were the largest anchors forged at the time by hand. Huh. The center anchor alone weighed 16 tons and had to be pulled by 20 horses from the fabrication shop to the rail race. Okay, is this still by hand? Uh, well, horse hands. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's that's how you measure their height and how many anchors they can pull. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so 20 horses pulled it from the fabrication shop to the railway station to be shipped to the harbor. There was a heartwarming 1911 uh, Super Bowl commercial where the horse befriends a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, as they carry it. I'm doing a Budweiser Clydesdale thing. Um, mm-hmm. Continue? It's just horse. That's the connection. A horse was in it. Oh, a big horse pulling something. I'm imagining okay. these are not, you know, stallions. These are not racing horses. These are work we horses. Know. No, no, they're race horses. <laughs> so the Titanic was launched without any of its machinery or internal structures in May of 1911. They would spend the entire following year working on the engines and decorating the interiors. In order to push out from the berth, 22 tons of soap and animal fat had to be spread along the slipway. <laughs> oh my god. That's the equivalent of roughly 11,000 bars of soap. It's a lot of soap. I, I don't know what you want me to say. Well, I want you to say that that amount of soap could have cleaned a thousand Americans for a year. Wow. I mean, yeah. or in this time... Did Americans get clean? No. No. No one did. No, no one did. That that soap would have la- lasted until now. This is this is what soap was for then. <laughs> Just lubing up See, Yeah, seeing someone clean themselves with soap, it's like, ew, whoa. Mm-hmm. You think yourself a ship? Hmm? You're getting yeah. <laughs> you think yourself a ship. <laughs> 
the construction was not without incident. Uh, yeah, obviously. Quite a few deaths. <laughs> Despite the fact that the exterior was completed, the challenge of building the ships was far from over. Even though they had unlimited money and unlimited workers, they were still attempting something never done before, and there was pressure to complete it as fast as possible. There have been complaints from the construction that hard hats, gloves, and handguards were not provided and not widely utilized. I mean, it was the early 1900s. And you won men were men. Come on, yeah. Throughout the construction process, they recorded 246 injuries. Nearly 30 of those were considered severe. Severe, in this case, means loss of limbs or ability to work. Like, in general. Oh, okay. can't work anymore. Got it. Yeah. That is pretty... Se- Ooh, that's severe. God, to think of someone not being able to work. I know. Six people died during construction from machine malfunction or from falling to their deaths off the tall gantry. Hmm. Another two died in the workshops and nearby sheds from machine malfunctions while working on parts for the ship. Finally, just before launch, another worker was killed when a large wooden beam fell from the gantry, crushing him to death. That's not the one. You don't want to be the last You one. don't want to be the last one. It's like, oh, we're just about done. And then you step on one of many bars of soap. And you slide mm. all the way into a, a pile of large wooden beams. Uh, I mean, this is so far after the time of, like, you know, uh, laborers be dying and being built into the works uh, before them. Uh, Great Wolf <laughs> China style and pyramids. Uh, but still at a period where there's a great deal of, of death on these job sites. And it's like, yeah, I, they should have they should have built the people into the ship is what I'm saying, because it would have added a it's whole other level of steel, though. Uh, but a steel blend, I'm saying. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, you could toss them in there. Yeah. <laughs> With hand hammered yeah, rivets. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Oh, that's right. true. That's that's true. Yeah. T- toss some animal fat in there. Oh, mm. <laughs> I just feel like that would have added a whole level of mystique on top of the the already the romanticized sinking uh, spoilers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We don't want to get to that. Just yet. (laughs) Construction on the interiors began immediately after the initial launch in June of 1911. The Titanic was fitted with three main engines. Two of them were four-cylinder, triple-expansion steam engines. The third was a low-pressure Parsons turbine with a propeller. Any questions about those? No, I mean, it seems obvious to me. Yeah, it is. Each of the reciprocating engines were 63 feet long and weighed 720 tons. The housings for the engines weighed an additional 195 tons. I mean, with weight like this, I feel like they're going to require at least, I don't know, 28, 29 maybe boilers. Yeah, and probably a total of 159 furnaces, you're going to guess? I would think. You're dead on. Wow. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. It's obvious. They burned coal to generate the heat for the steam, and the ship was capable of carrying over 6,600 tons in its bunkers with an additional 1,000 tons in reserve. Titanic required 600 tons of coal a day, shoveled by hand every day when it was in motion. Shoveling that much coal required the services of 176 firemen working 24 hours. Huh. (laughs) Really uh, horrible, dangerous, hot, awful, awful work. Yeah, in the belly of a ship, which uh, cannot have very good ventilation in 1915. No, and it... Didn't things did not end well for most of those people? Spoilers. Spoilers. There's more fatalities later on. Spoilers. Spoilers. Sixteen watertight compartments were spread across multiple decks of the ship. More on those watertight compartments later. On the lower levels, these compartments were outfitted with eleven vertically closing watertight doors that could seal off compartments in the event of an emergency. Allegedly, these compartments would have allowed the ship to continue sailing even if some of the compartments took on water. Oh, more good. On that later. <laughs> That's good. Great. We're going to return to that as well. <laughs> I don't want to say much. Okay. Okay. We're laying a lot but, of uh, uh, seeds, uh, mm-hmm. planting a lot of seeds right now that, that, right. Will, that will come to bear fruit. The ship also had a full network of indoor plumbing and a machine for desalinization. However, it was not efficient and did not produce enough water, so it was very rarely used. <laughs> That's like most of the gadgets in my kitchen. It's like, I no, like what if I need it? What if I need to make zucchini noodles? You absolutely must. <laughs> Once. And you're yeah. like, oh, this is really time consuming and doesn't actually make that much food. I'll just leave mm-hmm. it in, on top of the fridge. And it's a lot of cleanup. It's a lot of cleanup. Yeah. And it, it is broken now. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, the ship would load up fresh water in port and use the stored water for all the plumbing on the ship. The Titanic was also one of the first ships to have a Marconi International Marine Communication System, which was manned by two Marconi employees as operators on 12 hour alternating shifts. This is like state of the art. 
Yeah. You could send a message to someone who was not in front of you. But why would you want to? I mean, that, yeah, I mean, it, that raises its own questions. But, you know, the fact that you could is something. Mm. This service allowed passengers to send Marconigrams, <laughs> a.k.a. telegrams using Morse code from the ship. You had something to say about Marconigrams? No, I, I, have, nothing to, I have nothing to say about Marconigrams. Maybe this. Sure? It sounded. Okay. No, I. No, I. I'm th- now, well, now I'm thinking like maybe there's something to like macaroni grams. Macaroni grams. Yeah. Macaroni grams. It's a cereal. <laughs> yeah. But it's also pasta. Yeah. This service also allowed the ship to get detailed navigation and weather messages during the trip. Hmm. They were outfitted with their own spark gap transmitter, which gave the Titanic its own unique sound that could be distinguished from other ships. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> When all was said and done, the ship was almost 883 feet long and 92 and a half feet wide. It had 10 decks, including the bridge. She had a max speed of 23 knots and a cruising speed of 21 knots. The Prius, of course, not constructed yet, so we cannot. We can only speculate how many yeah, Priuses that would have been. It'd be impossible to say. And it would be irresponsible to say. Yeah. She could carry 2,453 passengers and a crew of almost 900 spread over eight of the 10 decks. And we got to talk about these decks. Oh, please. The top deck was the boat deck. This has the lifeboats. More on those later. (laughs) They lined all sides of the deck except the first class promenade area. The first class area had a gap in lifeboats that it did not spoil their view. Spoilers. Uh, A gap that they would come to regret later i'm sure (laughs) a deck and b deck were almost exclusively for first class passengers and first class cabins it also contained a private lounge a smoke room correspondence rooms and an additional social area called the palm court these are rooms where men just get together yeah well that's what stand around socializing was yes and again, I know we said this about the how you'd never leave your own town, but eh, maybe there maybe there's something to this too, huh? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe so, Patrick. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I hope you get your your own social club on on an A deck or B deck. Your own your own palm court. One day, where you can you can just kind of address the room. A, yeah, he's gentlemen. All I want to, yeah, just a bunch of gentlemen. <laughs> and we're all smoking cigars and yes. ignoring our families. We all have huge families. Yes. First of all. Yeah, but and I mean we spend very little time with them. They're on the ship. We just would rather go hang out with other male strangers. I dream of being able to just kind of be uh tasked with governing over a number of children uh below mm-hmm. decks or in the in a cabin somewhere while my husband mm-hmm. uh just kind of like loosely discusses the state of things. Yeah. You know, with a brandy, the world. Yes, with a with a yeah. snifter, <laughs> with a brandy and ten strangers, and then he's male strangers. Then he is colder to me that night than ever before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because he saw a fetching young blonde. Exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh, isn't that the life? It was the best. I imagine. <laughs> I mean, not for most people. <laughs> no, pretty bad. Uh, um, <laughs> but. These decks also included six giant staterooms the size of small mansions, each with their own private promenade area. Mm -hmm. Also on B-deck were two of the restaurants available to passengers. The a la carte restaurant and Café Parisien were available to first class only and provided luxury dining experiences. Ugh. Alright. What, you have a problem with Café Parisien? Providing no. a luxury dining experience. You know what? It pro- it probably was fine because, like, if this had been like the fifties or sixties, Cafe Parisian would have served like a, <laughs> the the a, a chicken's hand encased in Jello oh, or something. Yeah. Like yeah, like, yeah. A, like a meat made in the shape of a strawberry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I think I I miss I, I that was a, an unfair reaction. C and D decks were made up of passenger cabins and the first and second class dining saloons, as well as an open lobby area for third class passengers. E, F, and G deck contained cabins for three classes, along with crew from the restaurants and a few from the coal bunkers. There was a long, narrow passageway through the decks named Scotland Road, named after a street in Liverpool. This specific passage was for crew and third class only. F deck also housed the third class dining saloon, along with the swimming pool, Turkish baths, and kennels for animals traveling aboard. Think any of them? Didn't a cat survive or something? Um, I mean, yeah, cats have what it takes. Did a cat survive? Did you find? No, that? no, no. But she lived on through her children. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> All right. 
couple dogs lived. Okay. Yeah. They got that dog in them. I'm thinking of that other shit we covered where a cat did survive. Uh, of course, yes. Got it. Yeah. We've covered cats and racing horses and donkeys and uh, mm-hmm. kinds of alpacas. Yeah. The Titanic was still the RMS Titanic. And as such, she was responsible for all letters gathered prior to leaving port and all letters posted during the voyage to be delivered upon arrival. They reserved 26,800 cubic feet of space in the holds for parcels and mail. That's a lot of mail. What were people talking it's an about? Extraordinary amount of mail. A thought I think they it's just had. The, yeah, just the novelty of being on a ship, a big ship. You got to write home. Yeah, I guess so. Like the ocean is bluer today than I could have ever imagined, except for when I saw it from the shore. It's pretty much maybe, the same. Maybe the novelty of mail just hadn't worn off yet. They're like, we can communicate with someone. All who we don't. over the world. Yeah. And it only takes three years for the letter to get there. <laughs> there were two small decks below the waterline, but these were all cargo spaces, engine rooms, and boilers. Twin spiral staircases connected them up to D-deck if they needed to ascend up into the ship. The cargo spaces were still extremely large. First and second class baggage alone took up nearly 20,000 square feet of the hold area, not to mention the cargo needed to keep the amenities running. They also carried a 1912 Coupe de Ville in the hold. Mm. You may remember this from uh, the movie where they bang. Do I? Yeah. <laughs> they, they fog her up. They do. If you'll recall. Yeah, they do. But that was a, that car was on the ship for yeah. some reason. I mean, I, I don't. I, it's like when you see a, a, a car with a Hawaiian license plate on the mainland and you're like, why did you ship this? It is strange, isn't it? Surely I mean, it would but have I think, been cheaper. I think to, about that with any state that's not California. Mm. Like if I see someone with like a Missouri plate, I'm like, what are you doing? Drive normal. Get, get California plates. Get a plate. Yeah, yeah. But Hawaii, it's like you had to sh- you had to ship this, unless this is an extraordinary car. <laughs> In which case, I would love to take, <laughs> buy you a cup of coffee and learn more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One of the only ways the Titanic was really found wanting was the lifeboats, which shouldn't matter because she was unsinkable. Yeah, I mean the fact that they had any is kind of an admission of uh, lack of faith. Exactly. At the time, lifeboats were not meant to be a permanent solution in the event that a ship sank. Rather, they were meant to ferry passengers back and forth between ships. For this reason, the ship only carried 20 lifeboats. On board, they had 14 standard wooden lifeboats that could hold 65 people each, four collapsible lifeboats that could hold 47 people each, and two emergency cutters that could hold 40 people each. This would have accommodated 1,178 people roughly a quarter of the full potential capacity of the ship and only one third of the capacity of the maiden voyage. Legally, this was well over and above the required capacity. They were all, they were fine. This was well within the legal limits. Mm. The Board of Trade's regulations at the time mandated that they carry 16 lifeboats with a capacity of 990 occupants. Still, it would prove to be far from enough. Let's talk about accommodations. Mm. If you are going to travel across the Atlantic, you cannot do better. Than the White Star Line. I mean, you can't because there's a good chance you're going to die. Yeah, and I mean, like a really high chance you're going to die. But, that's true. This is not the only ship of theirs to uh, get into trouble. But until that happens, <laughs> you will be the most comfortable you've ever been. Yeah, in the first half, really nice. Mm-hmm. That's because White Star prided itself on having the best possible accommodations. First class suites could range in price from 100 pounds to 1,000 for the lavish, opulent staterooms. Today, these would be the equivalent of a presidential suite at a high-end hotel, which could cost like 100k for a week-long stay. Uh, yes, uh, of course. You've stayed in these places. We've all stayed in these places. I mean, I wouldn't stay anywhere else. Yeah. The private suites slash staterooms were the size of small houses within the boat. They included servants' quarters, dressing rooms, private entrances, and ensuite bathrooms. They had their own dining rooms and kitchens. Some even had private promenades. The standard first-class cabin would cost approximately 30 pounds in 1912. That's about 3,200 pounds today. This is pretty much in line with a nice cruise in an upper-class cabin today. Yeah, I guess so. Taking a show. I guess the price hasn't changed. Just adjusted. And, yeah, and lifeboats have changed, I think. (laughs) The lifeboat situation is different, yeah. Yes. One of the main things that has since changed since 1912 is that most standard first-class lavatory facilities were still shared. But this was the case in many hotels at the time, too. I'm sure plumbing you know, is still its an odd, strange, confusing science. To share with your fellow man the act of using a toilet, 
I think is also nothing... exciting. It's it's yeah, almost it as exciting, exciting as male. Maybe more so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I say, come, come. <laughs> come stand next to me. <laughs> it's like a child, like, being like, I did, look what I did. <laughs> look what I did in toilet. Hey, everyone. We just want to take a brief moment to remind you that RTX 2023 is happening this July 7th through July 9th. RTX is our favorite time of year where we get to interact with all of the amazing people that give us the opportunity to make content. It's a celebration of all things Rooster Teeth with panels, special guests, community artists, cosplay, and more. There will be exclusive reveals, meet and greets with Rooster Teeth talent, and special merch available only during the event. We're changing up how the convention feels this year and it's going to be awesome. Imagine a mini Epcot-style convention show floor with different attractions and activations from your favorite Rooster Teeth brands, all wrapped up in a summer camp theme. It's the summer camp for indoor kids, with Face Jam's Rat and Grackle Pub, a Red Web escape room, a f***-faced museum, Achievement Hunter mini-golf, and even more cool stuff to do that we're saving for attendees to experience. So thanks for listening to me get very excited about RTX. We're looking forward to meeting all of you there. Head on over to www.rtxaustin.com to get more information about the event and buy your badge. Uh, But this is all by design. This is exactly what White Star wanted. They wanted the Titanic to feel like a giant luxury hotel. And one key feature of that was the Grand Staircase. Okay. You've seen it. You love it. You've seen it. You love it. I see it. it and I love it. The Grand Staircase was the entrance to the first class accommodations. It traversed seven decks with landings for each deck and was covered by a glass dome looking up into the sky. Oh my God. Yeah, it's very lavish. There are a number of photos of the staircase prior to launch, but it has not been found in the wreck. It's suspected that the staircase itself dislodged and was pushed up through the glass dome in the ceiling. It ascended? Is that what happened? It just, it rose above the rest of the wreck? That's insane. Somewhere, an entire school of fish has been learning slowly to walk upstairs, and they will come for us. (laughs) The space is there, but the staircase just isn't there. That is quite strange. Second class accommodations were also upscale compared to other ocean liners at the time. Like standard first class, they shared bathrooms, but otherwise their rooms were similar to standard hotel rooms as we would know them today. Third class had options for private rooms, sleeping four, six, eight, or ten people comfortably, not super private. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you're traveling with your ten-person family. Uh, Irish? Yeah, Irish. We know. We know. (laughs) (laughs) They were laid out in a dormitory style, with single men housed in specific areas and single women and families housed together. Where are my single ladies at? Housed together. Uh, Yeah. With the families. This was a definite step up from many other ships at the time who would house third class in large rooms with cramped bunks as opposed to private groupings of bunks. So even though this still is like a bunch of people crammed into rooms together, they at least had a room to cram into. It wasn't just an open area with bunks. That's that's good. Yeah. I mean, it gets bad for them. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah. The gym facilities also offered a number of luxury options. The gym had all the most modern exercise equipment, including an electric camel. (laughs) Shock me like an electric camel. Uh, Not totally clear what that is. Um, Sounds nice. Sounds really uh, nice. Does it? Yeah. And that gym contained massage rooms, swimming pools, a barber, Turkish baths, electric baths, whatever (laughs) that is. I think it's a tanning bed, kind of. Ah, okay. Yeah. Basically, this was the nicest thing you could be on. It was there's nothing like this. Yeah. On the seas. No. Or on land, it sounds like. No, not really. It was incredible. Like the amount of work that went into making this the absolute nicest, I don't know, place to uh live, stay, travel, go to New York on. To leave to leave to the leave UK New York on? on? Yeah. On top of all the technological advances and amenities, one of the main things people remember about the Titanic are the claims that it was unsinkable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty important, right? Allegedly, even some of the executives in charge of the voyage had not initially believed the claims that the ship had sunk because they also believed it to be unsinkable. That's good. And that is sort of the main school of thought that governs, I would say, most business practices these days. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that yeah. the people the people that are allegedly in charge of it are convinced that nothing bad can happen to it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, although in this case, each of these executives would have their own private speedboat that could be lowered into the water at any moment <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> to jettison them away. Yeah, or helicopter. Yeah. Yes. So it's not a one-to-one. So Thomas Andrews, the designer, has often been credited as the source of the myth of the Titanic being unsinkable, but he himself never claimed it to be so. <laughs> so I, didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say anything. I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't say that. Rather, the myth that the ship was unsinkable can be traced back to newspaper and magazine articles from the time, and all of them seem to be based around advertising materials from the shipping company. These articles and pamphlets from the company focused on the hull compartments with watertight doors, but really that's the only safety feature they talked about. Despite all the articles claiming the utmost safety of the ship, by and large, the real selling point at the time seemed to be its luxury accommodations. I mean, yeah. Yeah, in other words, it's clickbait. They had they had Literally. a watertight feature to talk about, and they're like, "How? Do, what's our hook?" And it's like, "Oh, this is it means that the ship can't be sunk." Like I can picture that working in social media, being like, "Oh, this game, it can't be, it won't crash because it's got a special new anti-crash software." Like yeah. <laughs> it's and that's it. it that's, that's all it was. That's all yeah. it was. Yeah. It really wasn't until the ship had already sunk that people ran with the unsinkable moniker. Had articles used it previously? Yes, but not as many as maybe we think. Now that the press had irony on their side, though, they made sure that the unsinkable story stuck. Thus, history remembers the ship being touted as unsinkable when that was always very far from the... I mean, nothing is unsinkable. Uh, That's not true. I'm sure there's a substance out there that, try as you might, could not be sunk. An oil, maybe. Mm, Some sort of, I don't know, foam. Sure. A special foam. I just am so mad at the press. I wish Brian were here so I could give him a piece of my mind. I know. Damn journalists. Always misconstruing the truth. <laughs> I'll unsink his ass. He told me he would have been one of the people who he, yeah, he, he told me that too. He was grinning. Yeah. He, he was mm-hmm. grinning and flipping a quarter between his fingers. Yep. <laughs> Four cigarettes in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, all of them like rolling and trading places. Yes. Actually, I was having a nightmare. It was a bad trip. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some of the notable passengers and crew aboard the Titanic. Yes, because please. The, maid- the maiden voyage and only voyage was a who's who of both famous and affluent people of the time, along with some of the most experienced crew members in the field. Mm-hmm. Stephen Merchant. Off- no. <laughs> Why would he be a... Why would he be... What's his relation to ships? Uh, None. Not even particularly famous. (laughs) Let's let's start with the captain. Okay, Mark Marant. Nope. Also, still a weird choice. Got it. Lake Bell. Uh, Nope. Nope. The captain of the Titanic, Captain Edward Smith, had been sailing since he was 17 years old. He began his journey to captain when he apprenticed on Senator Weber in 1867. He joined the White Star Line 13 years later as a fourth officer aboard the SS Celtic and worked his way up to captain only seven years later. He was also given the rank of lieutenant in the Royal Naval Reserve, so he could be called upon to serve the British Navy. He eventually attained the rank of commander and King Edward VII awarded him medals for his service. All of his experience and accolades gave him a reputation for safety. Some passengers specifically booked passage on his trips across the Atlantic, believing him to be the safest option for the journey. Couldn't be sunk. Yeah. Some of that changed after he took command of the Olympic Titanic sister ship. The Olympic collided with a naval vessel. Yeah. (laughs) According to the Navy, the massive size of the Olympic created a suction that made collision inevitable. That's awesome. Yeah. That is is like spacefaring. uh, I know. Kind of uh, disaster. It just sucks you in. It's gravitational pull. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. When the time came for selecting a captain for the Titanic, Smith seemed like a logical choice. He had his safety record and his experience captaining her sister ship, even though, you know, it was not without incident. Yeah, but it, you know, it's not his fault that there was so much suction. (laughs) He can't help it. (laughs) He didn't make that happen. He didn't build the ship. Up next, Charles Lightoller, who was the second officer aboard the Titanic. Like Captain Smith... He began his career apprenticing as a teenager. He started at 13 years old aboard Primrose Hill. Uh, don't you wish that you could have gotten <laughs> so out there and, and just been like apprenticing on a ship? You lose your teeth and you're 19. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, that sounds cool. 
He worked his way up from apprentice to third officer before being assigned to Captain Edward Smith's command on the SS Majestic. Having worked with Smith on the Majestic, Lightoller was asked to serve as first officer in the sea trials for the Titanic. Following those trials, he was given the position of second officer for the maiden voyage of the Titanic, which meant the original second officer, David Blair, was out of a job. Aww. Allegedly, Aww. David Blair took the key to the binocular case with him, preventing <laughs> officers from having access to binoculars for the duration of the maiden voyage. <laughs> That's that's not uh, true, is it? I don't know. It's wildly petty, if true. I mean, it's it's pretty tremendous. Another notable passenger, Margaret Molly Brown. Oh yeah, the unsinkable. unsinkable. Molly Brown. That's so not right. the only, but she actually, I think, proved to be unsinkable. She was fine. This is yeah. there's a there's a that movie about her, and mm-hmm. it's uh the whole time I was told it was a movie about the Titanic, and then it's a while before she gets there. It's it's quite a ride. Okay. I, well, I don't know. I'm she just picking up a memory. She did. A storied and unsinkable life. Yeah. She was an American socialite, heir to a mining fortune, and a noted philanthropist. She was traveling along with John Jacob Astor IV to visit her daughter in Paris. During the visit, she received word that one of her grandchildren was seriously ill and booked the first passage she could find back to the U.S. That just so happened to be the Titanic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the inspiration for the Broadway play, The Unsinkable Molly Brown, and one not to champion votes for women, the rights of workers, and education and literacy for children. She has multiple memorials honoring her philanthropic endeavors and even a ride at Disneyland Paris. It simulates the sinking <laughs> what, of the ship and you are, meant to, you are meant to survive. Uh, yeah, it what? is not guaranteed. It's a strange, strange... Imagine you are Molly Brown. Also, it's, I mean, we say ride, it's a riverboat. I mean... It's not one of the rides we don't, anyone we don't discriminate here. Did yeah. we ever do an honorable mention about the Mark Twain riverboat incident? No. It's pretty dark. It is very dark. I don't think we did. Okay. There's something I'm to think sure. about. I know something we've to discussed think about. it. Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Many, many times. Up next, Benjamin Guggenheim. He's the yep. fifth of seven sons of millionaire <laughs> mining magnate Meyer Guggenheim. <laughs> What's funny about that? It's just... Fifth out of seven sons already. I know. That's yeah. funny. And then millionaire mining magnate Meyer Guggenheim <laughs> is also very funny. Yeah. <laughs> the fifth son of seven sons. <laughs> yeah, it sounds very uh, prophetic. <laughs> yes, it does. Benjamin himself was a prominent businessman and had married into a similarly wealthy family. However, after inheriting a large fortune from his parents, he became estranged from his wife and maintained a home in Paris, France, as opposed to his family's home in New York. Real guy's guy. Yeah. It was in France that he boarded the Titanic with his mistress, singer Leontine Aubert. Uh, That's, you know, close enough. Aubert. Aubert. Sure. They stayed in a stateroom on B-deck while her maid and his valet and chauffeur stayed in a cabin down the hall. What the hell was a valet? (laughs) What was a valet? They just kind of like tended. They were like a squire, right? I guess. It would be funny if it was like, like, while her maid, his valet, and chauffeur stayed in the Coupe de Ville in the hold. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just keeping it running. Park it out front. Yeah. Let me just say, all these people will come up later. We're telling you about these people for a reason. Mm. This This is not just a random list of famous people who are on the Titanic. One of whom was Thomas Andrews, the British shipbuilder, businessman, and naval architect who just so happened to have designed the Titanic. Well, that shows a lot of uh, faith in the product. As mentioned earlier, John Jacob Astor IV is also there. He's one of the wealthiest passengers aboard the ship. Uh, and he had a dog named Kitty with so him. So the, the dog was named Kitty. Yeah. He was so famous that the captain himself woke him up to let them know the boat was sinking. <laughs> what an incredible That's, honor. Yeah. 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 You can't pay for that package on a cruise ship today. And last but not least, J. Bruce Ismay. He's the chairman and managing director of the White Star Line. He was the son of the previous chairman and had succeeded his father after death. He's also credited with reducing the number of lifeboats from 48 to 16. Okay. Yeah. Oh. He had a habit of joining the maiden voyage of the ships he helped build. Speaking of maiden voyages, let's talk about it. The Titanic, uh, prior to the maiden voyage, underwent about a week of sea trials and earned her seaworthy certification. Which we had to do before starting we also this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. We failed, but it was about taking the test, not passing. Yeah, it's about showing up. An hour after earning it, she was on her way to Southampton for her maiden voyage. This Oof. was intended... Yeah, quick. <laughs> this was intended to be one of many transatlantic voyages between Southampton, Cherbourg, and New York. 
While this wasn't the most popular line yet, following the war, it would become so popular that most ocean liners defaulted to Southampton instead of London or Liverpool. On Wednesday, April 10th, 1912, the crew of the Titanic embarked and made final preparations for the passengers to board the ship. Those passengers began arriving at 9.30am from multiple train lines that converged at Southampton Terminus Railway Station. Most of those arriving by train were third-class passengers. They were also the largest group of passengers on the ship, so they boarded first. They were also subject to medical examination. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. You know, that's, yeah. Ugh. Uh, part of that is because if the U.S. sent them away and said, no, no, we don't want you, Titanic would be responsible for taking them back. Oh, okay, bring me your just fine, you're okay, you're doing yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. So after the uh, scum was allowed to board, <laughs> first and second class passengers boarded the ship and checked into their staterooms and cabins. Because of their economic status, there was no additional medical examination required. No, there's an alloy present in coin that wards off sickness. Exactly. <laughs> so they, they would have been fine. In total, they boarded 920 passengers, 494 third class, 247 second class, and 179 first class. This was not the total number of passengers for the voyage because a second and third group would be picked up at Cherbourg and Queenstown. Tales all this time. That's right. <laughs> but noon, all the passengers were loaded as scheduled and the voyage began. Or it would have. The Titanic had not almost caused an accident in the harbor. The ship was so large and her displacement so substantial that the sudden movement of water caused other moored ships to snap their cables and float towards the Titanic. This is this is real spitting in the face of God Ooh. kind of stuff. <laughs> Just drawing these other vessels towards your... I know. Oh my God. It's, 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 everybody yeah. back up! Yeah. <laughs> everyone gathering around and gang up on this giant ship. <laughs> So, thankfully, some smaller tugboats were able to pull the ships away, missing the Titanic by about four feet. The disaster was averted, but it did put everyone about an hour behind schedule. Do you think if that hadn't happened? I mean, actually, yeah. I mean, possibly, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's totally possible that if that hadn't happened, a butterfly uh, flaps exactly. its wings. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> I heard. The ship headed for Cherbourg, France, only 77 nautical miles away. It was windy, cold, and overcast, but the bigger problem was that Cherbourg didn't have docking facilities for a ship the size of the Titanic. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Oh, my God. This speaks, this does speak to me as an American. Like, yeah. I know we're not in America at the moment in this part of the story, but something so big, so vastly oversized that it, there is no infrastructure <laughs> to mm-hmm. handle its birth. I'm like, hell yeah, man. God damn it. <laughs> you better figure it out. You better figure it out because Titanic is coming. <laughs> White star. <laughs> so it had been chosen as one of the ports on the line because the White Star ships had run a successful line through Sherberg in the past. Shebiak. But those ships were much smaller. Even though it had taken almost four years to complete the Titanic at this point, Cherbourg hadn't gotten the memo. Uh-huh. The Titanic arrived where passengers had to be transferred from the shore to the ship using the SS Traffic and SS Nomadic. These ships were designed for this exact purpose and were built around the same time as the Olympic-class liners. Okay, that's fine. They loaded up an additional 274 passengers. 24 passengers actually disembarked here because they just, they just wanted to get across the English Channel. Can you imagine? <laughs> You're like, yeah, no, I was on the main voyage, but I got off in France. Uh, I actually didn't have to go that far. Yeah, I was just trying to pop across the channel. I just wanted to just get over there, and so I did. How many? Yeah. 24 people? Yeah. That is quite funny. I, yeah. I think if I were one of those people, I would just be annoyed. I'm like, what's up with all this to-do? Like, there's I know. streamers and people seeing us off. Streamers. I can't, I can't move. What's up, everybody? What's up, everybody? We're on board the White Star <laughs> the Lines voyage. flagship, the Titanic, the RMS Titanic. Thanks so, for the bits. After that, they moved <laughs> What's <on>. up? <laughs> no. After that, they moved on to Queenstown. Similarly to Cherbourg, Queenstown, they, they did not have the capacity to house a ship this size. And yeah. there, another seven people disembarked. They were just trying to get to Queenstown. Yeah. They did not want to go to New York. Sometimes you're trying to go to Queenstown. Yeah. The ship weighed anchor only two hours later and set out for her voyage across the Atlantic. Okay, now no she one's getting the, off. Uh-uh. Now, you are, if you are on, now you're in. 
Yes. The ship followed the coast of Ireland before making an arc across the Atlantic to the southernmost corner of Newfoundland and presumably so the third class passengers could wave to their family. (laughs) She traveled at her cruising speed of 21 knots nearly the entire length of the voyage, covering just under 2,000 miles in six days. And the voyage was largely uneventful. There was a small fire in one of the coal bunkers, but not really anything to be concerned about and pretty normal. It took a couple days to extinguish it, but by the 14th, it was extinguished. It may have contributed to some of the damage but that would happen later, but we don't know that for sure. That's speculation. As the ship approached Newfoundland, they received a number of warnings regarding cold, stormy weather and drifting ice in the area, but Titanic continued full steam ahead. This was standard protocol. Titanic wasn't racing anyone or trying to set a speed record, but they had lost some time early in the voyage and they wanted to maintain their schedule. Additionally, floating ice was common in this part of the ocean, and lookouts were trained to spot it. Okay. With all of that taken into account, ice was also not really considered a huge risk to large vessels. They didn't maybe understand that it extends way below the surface. The, it's not literally, just a cube the on the top. Most cursory understanding of icebergs that you learn about nowadays when you're, I think, nine years old. Mm-hmm. A lot of motivational pictures. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, this. also yeah. in cool books about the Titanic, cross-sections, of course. Yep. A classic. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason for the kind of lackadaisical attitude towards icebergs is that a few years prior, the SS Kronprinz Wilhelm had <laughs> hit an iceberg and completed her voyage. The captain of the Titanic had even said that modern shipbuilding had gone beyond the risk of icebergs, which is I, <laughs> probably why I didn't take it that seriously. I, I put some of the ice inside my... Uh, uh, what is a German liquor even? Jägermeister. <laughs> Inside my Jägermeister, it was nice and cold. I don't even know if that's German or just has a I German don't, name. I think it has like a German yeah. sounding name. They drink like, like, there's like German spice wine. Maybe you could ice that. Sure. Sure. Hey, speaking of icebergs. Yeah. Just before midnight on April 14th, the lookouts on the Titanic spotted one. Oh. Yeah. And they attempted to steer around it. Do you want to guess what? Uh. I don't I don't know. I, I don't I'm so tense. I guess you'll have to listen next week. Oh, what? To find out what happens. Oh my gosh. I was looking at the the progress bar in the episode and I was like, how are they going to fit this in? They're not. Yeah. Stay They're tuned. not. Yeah, stay tuned. We're doing a two-parter in case you haven't uh, figured that out already. Yeah, by our just insane rambling. <laughs> the level of detail we went. But look, it's important <laughs> because the reason everyone wants this one is because it's a it's a crazy like mythical thing at this point. It is maybe one of the most notable events in modern history, like on par with wars. You need to know about the staterooms. You have to know about the staterooms. You have to know about the shared bathrooms. Exactly. Well, maybe we could have skipped that. I guess you but- have to know about the Turkish baths. I'm excited to get into this next week. Uh, we could revisit one of my favorite pet. Uh, topics which is uh is the iceberg still out there (laughs) which which came up a few episodes ago and if i if i had been prepared for how stupid it would have sounded i would have couched it in like a sort of like no this is probably not true no it's that full steam ahead i said to patrick i think i was like it's it's still out there right like part of it <laughs> well, it's just one of the most childish thoughts that's ever like escaped my brain. I'm, like, sure, well, <laughs> I'm sure some of the molecules have reformed into ice since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it's still out there somewhere with the stairs, uh, the grand mm-hmm. staircase. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, well, why don't we break this up with a bit of an honorable mention? Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick? Ew. 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 Want to be on the football team? You're smug already. Ew. Imagine it's 2023 and you, Mm -hmm. an experienced sailor, and your friend, also an experienced sailor, become stranded at sea off the coast of France when your boat becomes rudderless. It's happened many times to me. Yeah, it's, don't, it's easy to imagine because it's memory. Yeah. Responding to your call for distress is a 50-meter-long, three-masted sailboat, they tell you. And they offer to tow you to land. However, this ship sounds to be much larger and much faster than your own. How's this going to work? Uh-huh. Well, to your surprise, 
Not just any 50-meter triple-masted sailboat arrives, but the Gothborg, an 18th-century right. merchant vessel, <laughs> which, okay. which happens to be the largest ocean-going wooden sailing ship in the world today. What? Yeah, it's it is a, like like an East Indy like type merchant yeah, yeah. vessel, like Pirates of the Caribbean kind of stuff that still is seaworthy. They just happened to be while they were sailing the closest ship to these two guys. What the hell? <laughs> and so, can you imagine emerging from the fog, like basically like the Black Pearl? <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like we're here for you, and it's like, no, God, no, 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 no. no. I'm I'll okay. Wait. I'm okay, wait. yeah. I would wish not to serve my time aboard Davy Jones's uh, yeah. <laughs> awful ship. Um, but yeah, they, they did tow them back. There's a lot of pictures of, it's very funny, it's a very modern like sailboat, you know, fiberglass and all sorts of stuff like yeah, that, yeah. being towed by this, this beast, <laughs> this ship from yeah. another time. Uh, in a letter, David uh, Monclay, the skipper of the smaller boat, wrote, Dear Commander and Crew of the Göteborg, Your kindness and generosity have shown that your ship is much more than just a boat. It embodies the noblest values of the sea. And so everyone was fine. Everyone got back to land. Uh, It would be like if you broke down on the side of the road, called AAA, and then a chariot (laughs) arrived. Or Model T. Yes. You got got picked up by, like, the old canoe we talked about a few weeks ago. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's. I wanted to keep it brief because this has been a long episode. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Shouts out. Uh, so you know, I'll say my normal things. <clears throat> <laughs> the show is written by Paige Wesley. It is edited by Kelly Reynolds with art by Stevie Jude. I have been a Charlotte. I've been Patrick. And you shall continue to be. Uh, uh, and For so all forth. time. Yes, in perpetuity. See you next week. Yeah, bones, bleaching. I can't yep. wait to find out what happens to the the what's it called the tit- the titan the titan yeah, something like that something like I don't, that. I don't remember. Well, in we're close. Uh, in 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 keeping with mourning the uh, tragedy, I will not be having ice in my drinks. Oh, okay. Yes, I'm I'm off. I'm off the, off, I'm, I'm off the, the sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. I'll be using exclusively whiskey stones. Yes. Well, you were doing that anyway. Yeah, and they are in the shape of Death Stars. All right, goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm. Bye.